You know, um, we have been travelling this year from the beginning and some of you who have been here throughout the early part of the year will remember that we are tracking on this journey through the story of God and in it finding ourselves woven into the great narrative. It's not just an ancient story, although it is that, but it is also a narrative or a story that we find ourselves in, um, invited into, participating in, and, um, and we actually can learn from these ancient stories in our own story. And so today, as we um, complete actually the, the time of slavery, this is our final um, time in Exodus before Israel is released and they um, head out into the wilderness and towards the promised land. I want to encourage each one of you to um, not just hear the story because, you know, it is a great story. It's one that we learn in Sunday school. It's one we're fairly familiar with. But I also want to hear, I want to encourage you to hear your own story and what God is saying to each one of us within this. So I'm going to read to you from Exodus chapter 12. I think Matt's got it on, but we are having, as you know, many technical difficulties today. Um, so verse, from verse 1, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, this month is to be for you the first month, the first month of the year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for the whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbour, having taken them, sorry, taken into account the number of people they are. You are to d- determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with each person will eat. Very practical advice. Sounds like what my grandma would tell me. The animals you choose must be year-old males without defect, and you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month, when all the people of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then you're to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and the tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. That same night they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. Do not eat the meat raw or cooked in water but roast it over the fire, head, legs and inner parts. Do not leave any of it till the morning. If some of it is left to the morning you must burn it. This is how you are to eat it, with your cloak tucked in to your belt, your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste, it is the Lord's Passover. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn, both men and animals. I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt." So here we are, we find ourselves at the 10th and final plague. God has been, as you know, in negotiation with Pharaoh through his servant Moses. Let my people go, Moses says. Pharaoh says, nah, not on my life. And God sends a plague. As Laura rightly said last week, of the first nine, there was a real natural order to how the plagues went. Each time, however, the people suffered. And yet, Pharaoh refused to let Israel go. This plague would be different. It was not natural. It was one that was caused by God. It's a tough story to deal with on one hand, but it's also a story of deliverance on the other. So we're going to track with it 
And in the hope that you will both feel and sense the presence of God and his freedom and recognise righteousness and justice in the midst of it all. It's an epic story, this story. Three great movies have been made of it. I don't know if anyone went to see the most recent Exodus film. Anyone else? Yeah? Yep, I went and saw it with some of the young adults um, and it was a great tale that was told. Some of it was even from the Bible. Um, (laughs) The Prince of Egypt was also a fine movie made about this great story. Did anyone see that one? Yeah, that's the cartoon one made by Spielberg um, and well-informed, obviously, by Israel and Jewish history and legend. And, of course, the great Ten Commandments with Moses, played by Charlton Heston. That is my personal favourite, my favourite Charlton Heston movie also, when he's young and fabulous. Um, Great movies made about a great story. Because this story isn't just, like many Bible stories can have two or three characters at play and one or two issues. This one is a little bit different. There are thousands, in fact millions of people that are involved in this story and impacted by it. There are rivals, epic rivals, Pharaoh and Moses slash God. There, um, uh, there's plagues, there's natural disaster, there's glorious victory and devastating loss. There is life-changing, history-making activity within the story. And that's what makes it an epic story. It also forms the foundation of our story. This story becomes an incredibly important foundation for Christianity. It becomes this story that we reflect on and we're connected to. And each time we meet around the Lord's table, there's this link that goes right back to this story. It's the seed of not just the first covenant, but the new covenant under which we all live. And this story is the completion of the promise or some of the promise to Abraham. You remember when God said to Abraham, your descendants will go into um, exile for 400 years, then I will deliver them and I will bring them back into the land I have promised you. He also said, I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you. And this story includes some of that. The sowing and the reaping is evident in this story. So where are we? We're in Egypt. It's slaves. They've been living there for 400 years and they have cried out to God, remember, God, remember the promise you made to our father Abraham and God has heard their cry. It's not fun being a slave. We actually have no personal experience of this. But the evidence is that nobody ever really treats their slaves well. History is littered with difficult, terrible and awful reports of slavery everywhere from Egypt all the way to America and England and the other nations who used, um, and even to this day, slavery that goes on. These slaves were treated badly. They had suffered much. They had been seen and been buried under the mud as others had tread mud to make bricks. It had been a horrible and an awful experience. And we don't want to at any point um, downplay how difficult it was for Israel and how serious their cries were for freedom and release. This wasn't just like servants in a country. These were slaves who were oppressed and abused. And so God sends Moses Moses the Deliverer. And he's come to demand, let my people go. 
Let the slaves be free. The stage is set for a battle that is unlike any other. In fact, in the earlier chapter, in verse 11 of, I'm sorry, chapter 11 of Exodus, God actually says, there will be crying out in Egypt like there has never been or never will be again. This battle is epic. It's not like anything else we find in the scripture. Who is Moses up against? Pharaoh. Fine, fine Pharaoh. He's a god in his own right. He represents the deity Ra. He's recognised as God and he's not prepared to bow down to any god. He says, who is this I am that I should bow down to him or obey his way? His heart's a little bit arrogant, shall we say. And like his father before him, he has grown and become more and more of what he started. His father was driven by fear. Do you remember? He put all the baby boys in the Nile because he underlying insecurity and fear. This man, he's driven by arrogance. And just as fear leads to anger and anger leads to hatred and hatred leads to the dark side, arrogance leads to pride and pride leads to selfishness and narcissism and that leads to the hardest of hearts, which is in fact the dark side. He's full of a hard heart. He's stubborn, he's stiff-necked, he's foolish, but in his own eyes he's wise and strong and powerful. And so in the negotiations, rather than listen and look and learn, he hardens his heart five times, not five times, ten times in the five chapters, he hardens his heart against God. He sees what's happening out amongst his own people. They're suffering frogs, gnats, boils, death of livestock, sickness, locusts destroying everything in the land. And even so, calamity after calamity, he hardens his heart. That's what arrogance does. Wisdom, humility says, huh, maybe there's something to be learned here. Maybe negotiation at the table would be wise. But Pharaoh operates on the same mechanism or thinking, ideology, is that the right word, that the devil operates on. Steal, kill, destroy, so long as I am powerful. In fact, he has the same kind of idea as what the Old Testament prophets recognise Satan had. I will be like the most high God. The arrogance is so high. The self-belief of who he is is so high that he has aligned himself effectively with the greatest dark force existing, which is why it's on the dark side, the dark side. Interesting thing, arrogance. We don't necessarily talk about it as an evil thing, but I've got this friend, you know, your friend that you talk about, She's short, blonde, blue-eyed. And sometimes, not here in this kind of space, but at home, she can get a little bit arrogant, thinks she knows everything, thinks that perhaps, you know, everyone should do what she says because it's a better idea, not willing to listen to the voices around her. Jesus warned the people that he lived who had the same issue as my friend that hard-hearted people wouldn't receive the kingdom of God or couldn't receive the kingdom of God. And he names the religious as stiff-necked and hard-hearted. 
Old Testament prophets said the same to the religious people. There's a call to us today to make sure that in activity we don't participate in arrogance and pride and selfishness that leads to hard hearts and stubbornness and misery for others. And I think it's sometimes important, and I will tell my friend that very important information stood out to me. Do you know, um, Pharaoh didn't, by the way, have to be like this. It wasn't because he wasn't Jewish that he was wicked. There were some kings that existed that did God's will, even though they weren't godly kings. So Cyrus from Babylon, who oversaw Israel as they were taken into captivity, well, not as they were taken, while they were in captivity, he actually released them back to Israel to build their temple, to build their walls, to establish themselves. So as an ungodly king by name, he actually was willing to participate in God's will. And Pharaoh too had that choice. Nine plagues, nine opportunities over and over. But he refused. And in refusing, he set about the course of devastating effect on his people but freedom for Israel. Moses, on the other hand, the other one in the battle, found himself caught in the grip of God's grace. It was almost as if he had taken his hands off the wheel of life and God directed his paths. And he found himself engaged with the most amazing experience that anyone could ever have. No longer was he a prince in Egypt. No longer was he a shepherd in Midian. Now he found himself as the prophet and leader of a people, teaching them how to be free. So he tells them, this is the message from God. Take a lamb, one year old, male, without defect. This stuff is important. This stuff becomes really significant in the practices and the culture of Israel and in their understanding of what it means to have forgiveness. It also is important in our own story, but we'll get to that. Keep the lamb for 14 days. On the 14th day, kill it at twilight. Take the blood, paint it with hyssop on the doorposts and on the top of your door. And when I come through Egypt to bring about the consequences of the hardness of heart, of Pharaoh and the generations up, I will see the blood and I will pass over. Who here is a firstborn male? Just out of interest in the family. Okay, because there's a few of you that would have been at risk, can I just say. Feeling comfortable? It's a great story. <laughs> it's good to be a female, right? <laughs> so the female son's, uh, the female, the male son's <laughs> life is at risk. But the family goes through the obedient practice, taking the lamb, killing it, placing the blood. The blood is significant. In fact, in Hebrews it says, without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sin. The lamb died in the place of the firstborn. It's a win. Roast the lamb, eat the lamb, get ready, we're about to go. From this point on, everything changes. This is your moment of salvation and freedom. Now I reckon there were a few people that day who were a little bit nervous. I mean you would do it, wouldn't you? 
you would do it because you it's a bit like the Y2K. Like you did buy extra baked beans just in case. Like you would do it. But I wonder whether there were some people that were just a little bit worried it might not work out for them. But history records, and in fact there are recordings of the day of the firstborn's death is what it's called. They found artefacts and stuff recording this information. History records that Egypt lost their firstborn across their children, families, animals. But God protected through the covenant of blood Israel. And Egypt said, get out of here. We're all going to die if you stay. They handed over their gold, their silver, whatever they could give, and they said, go. And that was the day that Israel was set free from slavery. It's a great story. They were set free from slavery, but they continued to behave like slaves. Let me note, throughout the next 40 years, we'll come to that another time. But let me just say, just because they left Egypt didn't mean they stopped thinking like they were slaves. But this great story is not just a true story, but a parallel for us. We remember that we too are slaves, not literally, but the scripture tells us that we are slaves to sin, that sin captures us and we get caught up in it. I I loved your choice of um, the crocodile song this morning, Martina. I was thinking about it because it's such such a funny concept, but to have a quick look inside at the inner self, doesn't happen very often, we recognise it's true. Sin is like a great big crocodile sneaking up on us. And sometimes we develop and we capture and we get caught in habits and rituals and attitudes and behaviour and um, even somebody else's behaviour that we get caught up in, practices of sin. And scripture reads us right when it tells us that we are slaves to sin. We don't like to talk about it, or at least I don't, maybe you do. I don't like to recognise that I'm captured. But when I take the time to do that, it can either make me feel worse, captured, stuck, or I can remember this story. And the story that followed, which is no longer there, but is represented by the table of communion. Jesus was called the Lamb of God by John the Baptist, the Lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world. In fact, in in the old um, AV Bible version, King James, he was called the Paschal Lamb of God, which was the name that they used for the Passover Lamb. And Jesus' death on the cross exactly, um, not just uh, followed or, or mirrored, but actually completed and fulfilled the work of the first Passover. And for those of us that are slaves, the promise and the hope of Jesus' death is actually that we are made free. It's good to think about it. Jesus' death makes us free. Now, we still have to walk the walk like the slaves had to out of Egypt and into the promised land. But in actual fact, you are free 
And if the Spirit has made you free, you are free indeed, Galatians tells us. So there is a really powerful, life-changing truth that sometimes, you know, it's foundational in our Christian faith, this stuff, but sometimes it's so simple we forget it. We want to talk about the theology of, you know, fairness and justice of God in the story of killing the Egyptians and not killing the Israelites, and that's not a God I really like. And what about lambs being slain? That kind of doesn't do my 21st century brain any favours. I can't handle the idea of sacrifice and ritual blood and blah, blah. And sometimes we can get caught up in the details and theological thoughts and miss the moment of saying, hey, this story is my truth. I am free. And the power of darkness, the Pharaoh, the Satan, the power of darkness no longer has reign over me because the blood of the Lamb has carried my sin and I am free. And God has passed, not over just over our sin, but actually carried it from us. And it's a beautiful promise that sometimes it's good to revisit in detail to handle, to look at as we prepare for Easter, to recognise and to remember. This is the glorious hope that we carry. And when we walk beside our friends who don't yet have this hope, we're called to live in that freedom and to share it with others. Forgiveness, new life, freedom. These are the foundations that shape or ought to, or can shape our lives, our attitudes, our patterns, our habits, our addictions. What great and glorious news this is. I love that they were ready. I love that they had to wear their cloaks tucked into their belt. It just doesn't work in my head, but I love the idea of being tucked in, shoes on, ready to go. There's a call to us to be participants in this act of freedom, to get ready for it, to take opportunities for it, to recognise when the time comes and to embody the freedom that we have. And today I want to invite you to participate. Perhaps today is the day that there's some stuff, it's in a pattern, it's in your life, it's active, it's working. And perhaps today's the day to say, I'm going to hand this over to the Lamb of God and I'm going to ask for freedom. And yes, I'll have to walk it out. And yes, it probably won't be a magical moment of forever being, you know, never having to think about it again. There is a practice of walking it out. But today's the day I'm going to go there and I'm going to hand this over. And if that's the case for you, I want to encourage you as we, um, we're going to have a song. We don't normally finish with a song, but we're going to have one today. And I want to encourage you to do some business with the Lamb of God, to come close to him, to draw near to him, and to allow him to carry your sin and your shame and to recognise yourself as free indeed. Just before we do that, I want to make a comment. This is about the children and the firstborn in Egypt. It bothers me. I feel sad. So I said to God, but that's a bit mean. And he said, you know, I align myself with those people too. 
for I too was a father who lost my firstborn son. Innocent, paying for the crimes of others, and I know the grief, and I know the loss, and I love them too, and I have sat in their place with them. They're not forgotten. But God has aligned himself, not just with us who need freedom, but those who are grieving and have lost to injustice. And I want to just recognise that this morning because I think sometimes we can have the winners and the losers and we kind of, it's fun to just align ourselves with the winning team of God. But you know what? God is with all people. The suffering, the powerful, the wicked, God too loves them. And I think it's important to recognise that this morning. So we're going to sing or not sing. You don't have to. We can just sit and listen. Our song called Worthy is the Lamb. Lord God, we want to live in the freedom that you have promised us. We don't want to lug around the slavery, the sin, the shame, the attitudes, the addiction, the selfishness, the stuff that so often crowds us and keeps us from knowing or feeling or sensing or drawing near to your love. We thank you for the cross, for Jesus. We thank you that the darling of heaven came to this space for us. We thank you that he bore our sorrow and he carried our shame, that he was wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. We thank you that he was punished for our peace and freedom. We thank you that he doesn't resent us for this, but in fact he willingly laid down his life out of love. We thank you for your love. Would you help us to live in the freedom that you have given us? Would you help us to take hold of it, to not lose hope when at times we fail? Would you give us the courage to trust you with all of us, the good, the bad and the ugly. And would you bring us into the image of Christ in the promised land. May your blessing, your love and your grace surround us as we go. And may we share it with those that we mix with. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for worshipping with us today. May God bless you this week. And hopefully we'll see you again next week. Go in peace.